It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Ears Up Podcast. And uh, I feel like we've done 100,000 of these shows already because we've been doing Corn Tiki Room Happy Hours. That is true. I have to, we have to remember that this is a no-swear It's zone. a no-swear yeah. zone. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is uh, Ears Up Podcast. We are still in the Tiki Room because I have not felt like breaking everything down. Um, I talked to Anthony because he has my backup, like, audio equipment. And I'm like, bro, just bring it over to my house. So I can set up the, you know, the two banger fader and mixing board and whatever, and I can put all my other stuff back because we have like, I don't know, $1,200 worth of new microphones <laughs> in the studio that we're not using, and it, it hurts me. Well, it's not like they're never going to get used. I know, but it's just one of those things where like we're using like $50 microphones in here, and it just, True. I don't know, it bothers me. So Yeah, but you're on location. I mean, that's what happens. That's true. That is true. That is a valid point. Yeah, I don't know. But he's like, oh, they're all in storage. But also, I really do sort of want to, like, use him, you know, and do something again. I'm like, Well, guess what? He can fine. get them back. Yeah, I'm like, fine, whatever. <laughs> but they're in his storage, and I know it's, like, off-site from the apartment of where he lives. And so, you know, the kid works during the day, and it's, it's a whole thing. So, I don't know. It's it fine. It sounds like an Anthony problem to me. It is what it is. Excuse me. Oh, are you Terrence? <laughs> no, I'm here. I actually show up to these things. <laughs> Dang. Ter- Terrence is hey. not here again today. Again. He has been here for all the drinking shows. So I mean, Sure. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's fine. Look, Terrence, I'm sure, is a busy guy at some point in his life. So uh, he is not here today. He will be missed because I feel like he would have really enjoyed this show. We have Jeremy. Yeah. We have Jeremy from uh, Spectro Radio, of course. Um, doing the music of the Little Mermaid. Yeah, right, I hope Jared. it's. I, I'm worried. I hope. Oh it's no! Good. Don't why? be worried. You know. No, I don't. No. Why are you worried? Why are you worried, bud? Uh, I wrote me, it much. I didn't take as much time. Like I wrote it compressed. You know, like over the course of like five days, rather than like normally. I spend like a long time. Yeah. But I just kept putting it off, putting it off. And, you know, last week I was like, I really should write that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like even Sunday, you're like, I'm sort of almost done. Not really. Yeah. 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 I wrote, I finished up the last bit today, cut the audio. I think I'm ready to go. We're going to do it. We're going to okay. do it. Well, we right. have no choice. Good. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're just going to ride this to wherever it goes. Basically. Have, have you seen this movie, Jason? I have seen The Little Mermaid once, I think. Like years and years ago, and then uh, Alice was watching it a couple times, and so I've popped in and out. So I'm familiar with with it, uh, uh, you know, slightly uh, more familiar <laughs> with the ride uh, than I am with the movie. So this will be interesting for me as well. Yeah, I texted Jason today. I said, "Have you watched it this week?" <laughs> nope. Well, yeah, I so I've watched it with Alice um, recently, probably in the last like couple of months, and it's funny because I. I think I like the music more than I like the movie. Like I, I realized like I was kind of getting bored watching the movie, but then, then a song that I liked would come on and then I would be all about it. I feel like m- musicals just sort of turn a movie that wouldn't be very good into a watchable movie. 
Like if I, I think at its core, and the the a mu- musical is not a good movie, it, but it's a good musical. If that makes sense. That does make sense, but Thank I do want to be clear that I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it wasn't as it wasn't as like exciting as I remember it being. Well, Taryn, that's what I hear. I know. So <laughs> you know, right? I hear you think well, it's a bad movie. I think that Taryn actually is hitting on something. Um, this was written by Broadway guys. And they were really good at music. They're really and they're really good at making music that moves a story along. So the fact that Terrence picking up on, you know, it wasn't just a break and so it's time for them to sing. Like they were singing for a reason. And right. so the the music in this movie really pushes the plot forward. So yeah. if you like the music, it should be driving the story along. So I think you're onto something. Thank you. Every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while. Uh, well, she did get your notes beforehand, so she, you know, she's all up on that. So mm. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, before we get to the show, everybody, you can find us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, maybe. Um, any feedback on the show goes to Taryn at earsup-podcast.com. Show suggestions goes to Terrence at earsup-podcast.com. You should all the show suggestions should be hey Terrence. Show up. <laughs> so everybody email that. Um, you can say hi. Hi. To Bev. And uh, anything else uh, comes to me, Jason, at earsup-podcast.com. Do we have feedback, Taryn? I should have asked. We do not. For like the hundred millionth time in a row, I probably should have asked beforehand. Yeah, no. Okay. No feedback. No feedback. But we have been getting a lot of feedback, uh, positive, hopefully, on our corn tiki room. So... This show should release tomorrow. Uh, Ears Up in Depth number 18 will release tomorrow as well, Jeremy. That was a good one, too, that we did uh, the other day. Um, but so in case you don't know, in case you're not following on Instagram or whatever, uh, we're, you know, every once in a while we do happy hours from Taryn and I's Tiki Room where all of the gang gets on video chat and we just basically do weird news and kind of hang out and play games and have a good time just to sort of relieve the tensions of, of staying, you know, quarantined with everybody and, you know, in light of all the dumb world news that's happening right now um so you can catch those so definitely follow us on on uh, social media to figure out when that is coming in uh next as well but people seem to be liking that and really appreciating the the time that we're putting into getting hangovers the next morning so that's always good it's been a bit rough to be quite honest with you yeah for sure like i I have i have a beer in my glass i have one on deck and uh i'm pretty sure i'm gonna have to slow down at some point are you? Are you sure? Well, eventually. Um, <laughs> if you do any internet shopping, which is mostly all you can really do right now, you can go to the uh, use our Amazon link, please. If you go to our like shop page or whatever it is, it's one of the, the links up there. You'll find it on our website, and use that first. Click into that through Amazon, and that will uh, greatly help us out in ways I'm not allowed to tell you. We have some updates for you. Last week, I released not one, but two Supreme Resort episodes, and they were both very, very good. Jeremy, of course, was on one, and then our buddy Eric from Conti Ears was on the other. And I'm not going to tell you which was which. It's just going to be, you should listen to them both and check that out. They're all wherever good podcasts are found. Google Podcasts, they're on Spotify, we're all over the place. Actually, that feed might not be on Spotify, but it's everywhere else. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like I said, Ears Up number 18, Ears Up in Depth number 18 is going to be out tomorrow. This show is Ears Up normal show podcast form number 158. 158. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, it kind of is. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us too, 158 man. 158 episodes of this sometimes garbage. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're sounding like me no, now, great. and I don't really it's like great. that. Yeah. How really it it would have been what, Terrence's third? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, pretty much though. <laughs> Got him, dude. Roasted him pretty good. Appreciate that. No, Terrence is good. I mean, you know, he's he's probably doing much more honorable work than we are right now. I know he's bringing you know food to you know families who are I don't know whatever. Speaking of honorable work, I had a dream last night. I told Terrence sort of, but I'll tell you guys uh, that I was um, an astronaut. Um, being uh, rocketed to Mars, and um, we had to parachute into the vast oceans that are on Mars, apparently, <laughs> um, and take readings while we were in the water. And we like parachuted in, and then you know the seas were really choppy, and we're kind of being kicked <laughs> around, and and so we kind of land on this like rock or whatever, and then the rock started to kind of come up from the water and like like come over us like a and it turned out it was like a like a big monster like a starfish and it was like enveloping us in the thing and then i woke up wow yeah that's I, a vivid dream yeah it was pretty fun honestly it was kind of tight i was like oh that's cool well um, the way he described it when we woke up was i just had a dream i was on mars and i was getting attacked by a starfish yeah and i was like <laughs> i think my i think my direct quote was i was just on mars <laughs> yeah but like you. my first thought was like are you are you seven? Like, yeah. no, you said, yeah, you said, uh, Obviously, yes. you said, wow, you have little boy dreams. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't wait to shop for more underoos when all this whole thing is over. <laughs> Basically. The Velcro on my, my kangaroo shoes are running out. <laughs> Um, speaking of Conti ears, you can go to ContiEars.com, uh, especially when this whole thing is over, but maybe even now, I don't know. I know that, uh, Disneyland is, uh, taking reservations, uh, starting June 1st. So if you want to try to get back in the parks, if you don't think they're going to be, uh, pushed out, which I don't know, June, who, who knows what's going to happen, but there's a lot of positivity going on about, uh, about sometime in that, in that time frame of June. Uh, you know, we can sort of go and, and have a good time in public. I don't think it's going to happen personally, but whatever. Um, but if you're going to be booking, book through Conti Ears. If you have any questions about reservations or how to do trips or whatever for Dis- for the Disney parks, Conti Ears, read the blogs, get informed, connect with them. They're great people. They will help plan your Disney vacation. And it's no extra money on top of whatever you pay for the park tickets. So it's a full-service travel planning, vacation planning service with people who know what they're talking about, which is very rare, to be honest with you, but uh, definitely doesn't happen here. Only when Eric is on, I feel like. Yeah. But anyway, so check them out. Uh, Concierge.com. They're great people. And Eric does a really good job filling in for you, Jer. That's good. Yeah. He does do a good job. I didn't, I didn't hear this last one, but I heard the first time that he came on. He did a nice job. He's got a, he's got a good radio voice. He really Much does. better than mine. Yeah, I, really, I would agree with both of those statements. Mine's like, hey, hey Petros. <laughs> I love your voice, Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy's like, well, did you ever see this movie, Petros? <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God, it was amazing. It was you. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, oh, that, was, yeah. that was pretty it's accurate. Passionate. passionate. Is there, 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 I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking too much to Alice in her <laughs> weird language, so I can't speak actual words right now. 
Anyway, um, let's see. Any other updates? I don't think there's any more updates, Tear. I don't think so. Yeah. I think I've convinced Jason. Um, actually, I didn't do anything, but I think we'll, we will do another quarantine. Otherwise, we would have moved all this stuff. Maybe. The problem is that Taryn is working from the studio, so I can't like plug everything back in um, because I need to be playing video games upstairs, so I have no time. <laughs> yes. You guys... We have another month. We're not even halfway through. We I know. can't ditch the tiki's now. I know, but like I was saying, man, it's just I, I miss being in the studio. I miss the microphones. Maybe I can change the microphone setup, although this these microphones sound pretty good. I, I don't know, man. Also, he... You, like a, you did 140 episodes with those mics. That's true. <laughs> yeah, give or take, I'm sure. They got you where you are today. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Uh, cars get me where I, uh, I go, but I don't keep them. Right, that's a good point. Thank you. <laughs> Was it though? No. <laughs> um, and let me ask you guys a question: Are you guys doing anything weird uh, to pass the time in the quarantine? Uh, I, and by that, I mean something you wouldn't normally have have been doing before to, like, you know, pass the time. Bev, are you doing anything? Are you learning a new skill or whatever? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh. Um, <laughs> I am, however, completely caught up on all of the laundry. I dusted the stairway today. Oh. So you're being productive. Wow. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm like finding dirt and I'm like, oh gosh, how, I don't think that's ever been cleaned. <laughs> no. And Jeremy, you're playing. <laughs> so that's been fun. You're doing a lot of the recorder. Uh, yeah. The recorder. I, I've been doing a lot of the recorder. Well, the reason I bring this up is um, <laughs> Taryn and I finally, finally convinced Taryn to let me teach her how to play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> just that, Shut up, Bev. Which is that old <laughs> card game. I'm a little jealous. I kind of want to learn. Hey, I have decks. Dude, you know what? Come to my house. I'll leave them on the porch. <laughs> I'm I, driving to Oakley to pick up it. I can order it on Amazon. Order on Amazon, the starter deck. I'll send you the link through our, our, our Amazon link. and be fine. Um, but Taryn and I played our first Magic the Gathering. You kids know what I'm talking about. Your parents probably know, too, because you're paying for these cards. I used to play a lot of Magic in uh, high school. And then um, I left all my cards with, like, an old girlfriend, and then, like, I never heard from her. So she took, like, 500 of my cards, and they were first edition, so they were worth money now. So I'm kind of pissed about that. Were they really, though? Yeah. No, these cards, they can be up, like, $300. Who's going to buy them? Kids. I don't know. They could, like, seriously, (laughs) like, some of these cards are worth, like, $100, $200. All right. All right. Yeah. So there. Um, well, what is this magic to gather? What is this? It's just, it's, it's like, spe- yeah, I mean, it's in the name, Jeremy. It's a nerd game. It's a, it's a card. Game? It's a, yeah. it's a card game. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a card game where it's, you're uh, casting spells and you're attacking each other. That's basically it. It's like, okay. it's like it's on fun, the though. same nerd level as like Dungeons and Dragons. Which I also kind of still want to play. I've seen them. Play. We should. I, we could play D anD. d We could do a campaign. I know some people who are trying to learn to be. Uh, um, I think uh, uh, Charlie's kids, Push's kids, I think, are getting into D anD. d We could definitely get on one of these calls and and do a D anD. d campaign. Really? Yeah. That seems like it would be so complicated. And we could do it. I think we'll. Sh- I think we should do it. Um, but so uh, I wanted to bring that up because I think it's cool, and I wanted to connect with my my younger audience, but. Um, I also wanted to play uh, this real quick um, as we lead in. (laughs) 
Jeremy, what is this? It's very familiar. That's Legacy. I was looking for your Come On Eileen, but I didn't see it. You did Come On That's Eileen? That's on my personal account. Oh, it was so damn. good. It was I so shredded good. it. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was totally fooled by your one yesterday. I was like, my phone's not working. <laughs> oh, my I God. Was so I was so mad. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Makes you want to cut off the bottoms of my um, my overalls and dance around. You're amazing. You should do that. I would like I a will. video of that. You yeah, know, I I'll you play would. something and we'll split screen it. So it'll be me playing, and the next of it, it'll be you dancing in cut off overalls. <laughs> Please, because that's that was the music video. That's the music yeah. video. Yeah. It yes. awful, and I want to see it. So <laughs> yeah, you guys just have foot fetishes, and I'm not here to to partake in that. Mm. Um, all right, Jeremy, let's go with the music of the Little Mermaid. Take it away. Well, oh, so you, it's, is that was me playing the recorder in place of Spectra yeah, Magic? Spectrum. Well, it, oh, that's right, because it's Spectra. <laughs> I, I sort of got confused in my head about what uh, the order of stuff. So uh, you're you're absolutely right. Join us as we unravel the magic behind some of Disney's most beloved pieces of music. It's Spectro Time. This magic night, a million stars will play beside us, cast a spell of light. Glimmering, shimmering, light. You know, I mentioned I was playing uh, Animal Crossing, New Horizons. Uh, you can buy doctor's masks <laughs> in that game. So I'm running around what? my little island wearing a <laughs> wearing a surgical mask. You can also and, gift them to people, and he gifted one to me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to keep you safe on the island, Taryn. Thanks. All right, Jeremy. Okay. Picture it. Disney. The early to mid-80s. New leadership has taken over the company. Oh, how exciting. Michael Eisner is the new CEO, and Frank Wells is the company's president, while Jeffrey Katzenberg has been brought on to head up the motion picture division of the company, um, which at the time ranked last at the box office of all the major studios. So they had a lot of work to do. (laughs) Indeed. Um, And Roy E. Disney returned to the company as vice chairman and chairman of the animation department. Now, the animation department suffered through the 1980s uh, with a string of fairly unremarkable movies, including The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, and Oliver and Company. And during the changes that were sweeping the Disney company under its new leadership, the animation department was evicted from the animation building in Burbank, the studios that Walt built for them, and where so many of those towering animated classics were made, like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. 
And they were placed in trailers in a parking lot in Glendale. And that's where animation now lived. Ouch. <laughs> can you well, some, can you some imagine trailers? I also heard warehouse, but they were oh, they were not yeah. in very nice place. They were kicked to the curb. Well, and you know those rumors, excuse me, were probably floating around there for a few months and I, I, this is what I would have done. I would if I heard the rumors, I would be like there's no way. There's no way. What are they going to do in this place? They built these for the animators. This is Walt's legacy to the animators, right? Mm-hmm. People were nude sunbathing on the roofs of this place. Like, there's no way we're going to kick us out. And then suddenly they're in, um, uh, what were those things called? The trailers like you used to have in uh, the portables, like in portable. high school and yeah. elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the portable. So there were thoughts in the company that animation was shutting down and would become a thing of the past. Hmm. Now, in 1985, Jeffrey Katzenberg was leading these sort of like gong show sessions, okay, where everyone would have to come with five new ideas for an animated feature. Oh, my God. Okay. Sounds like, it sounds like ears up meetings. <laughs> yeah, Jason just it gives does. us a gong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really think it would work. <laughs> what would I ask? I what mean, what, I, what would we ask? What am I, Casey from the Uncle <laughs> Muscles Hour? Does anyone, does anyone really want to hear that? Like, <laughs> Come to the meeting with five ideas. Yeah, but who cares about that one? <laughs> yeah. Um, those were all or very... Yeah, uh, when I said five ideas, I meant... Five non-bad ideas. So <laughs> let's try again. Oh, Jason, what did you come to the meeting with? Yeah, um, and also, I'm exempt from this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm here, you guys. You don't understand what I have to do. I have to... Well, it just it, You would take a podcast host to explain it. So You have to right. field our terrible ideas, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a tough job. It's a rough anyway, life. Yeah. Uh, initially, The Little Mermaid was proposed by co-director Ron Clements as he encountered the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale in a bookstore that year. And he described the book as being itself very cinematic in the way it was written and the visuals it described. Um, it was also a tragic story in which The Little Mermaid dies. So it would definitely need to be reworked uh, for Disney's family-friendly audience. But the core story was there. Oh, that's, that sounds... I would have... I would probably have sat down and watched it and she died at the end that seems interesting to me when the hero dies but not when you're seven yeah but i'm not seven where are you and sam the same (laughs) (laughs) well i I love that you can see sam peer over bev's shoulder (laughs) he's making dinner or, well, he's getting pizza. It's like, it's like, was, is there a ghost back there? Like, <laughs> yeah. If Sam, if Sam came across nude, he would. He's definitely pale enough. He would show up as a ghost. <laughs> not on this show. No, no. Anyway, show. please continue and ignore the man behind the knee. At first, the Little Mermaid idea was gonged at the Gong Show session. Because at the time, a sequel for Splash was already in the works, and another moomer, moomer, <laughs> another mermaid movie seemed to be a bit overkill for the studio. Yeah. So let me let me interrupt you. Sorry, and I'm not going to do this a whole lot because, again, we've gotten feedback that was directed at Jeremy. Was probably for me that I interrupt too much. Um, what, was it an actual gong, or are you just using that as an example of like, nope, I don't like it. Next. I don't think that there was an actual God. Gun. I really, in my mind, I wish there was. in my mind, there's these people in three piece suits with cufflinks reaching for the thing to gong somebody, like gong <laughs> right, their like, coworkers. 
you're you're talking about your idea and you see them reach for the mallet and you're like, no. <laughs> All the while while never breaking eye contact with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just yeah. They just stare at you while they do it. They're just like, <laughs> like slow motion. Roll it around. All right. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry, I apologize. But eventually, they were uh, Katzenberg ended up changing his mind, and because he saw the one they did like a one pager or whatever, and he thought it, he was like, you know what, there might be something here. So he goes, go ahead, put this into production. So now, uh, joined by John Musker, who would co-write and direct the movie along with Ron Clements, the two pieced together a story. Okay, in the summer. Of 1986, they traveled to New York to meet with acclaimed lyricist Howard Ashman, who by now has already called in his composer friend, Alan Menken. Ashman and Menken are a magical combination of lyricist and composer, just like I told you about in Tim Rice and Elton John were for The Lion King, and just like the Sherman brothers were to each other for Mary Poppins. Okay. Now, they're no strangers to this. They're new to feature animation, but at the time, they were enjoying great success of both their stage production and the currently in development feature film of Little Shop of Horrors, number one. Tell me this feeling lasts till forever. <laughs> Tell me the bad times are clean washed away. He's on the stand that still strange and frightening. Wow, that's some singing, folks. It is. I love singing. that movie. So yeah, much. Bambi was very sad, but that part, that part really got me pretty good. <laughs> so these two are a hot commodity, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, uh, in 1986 for sure, because they're they're they've got a lot of success happening, but they had no experience making an animated musical. They were Broadway. But Howard Ashman knew from his Broadway experience how important music could be in telling a story, moving a story along, and developing its characters. So now the directors head to New York to hear the first demo for the movie. So they've only done one song so far, uh, but they have, uh, Mankin and Ashman have sketched out ideas for where in the outline of this movie songs would be used to advance the plot. And the first song that Ashman and Mankin come up with that they played on the piano in Howard Ashman's downtown Manhattan apartment for the directors was Part of Your World, number two. Maybe he's right. Maybe there is something the matter with me. I just don't see how a world that can make such wonderful things can be bad. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl? Girl who has everything. Look at this troll, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around. So Howard Ashman has he. I can't underestimate, or I can't impress upon you enough how much Howard Ashman's vision for this movie impacted it, and how without him, and with Alan Menken, but really Howard Ashman. We wouldn't have this movie. 
Hmm. And we were, or at least in its form and how amazing it was. And what I just played for you, and you're going to hear several more, is the demos that these two did together. They put so much into it. They really acted it out, and they had a vision yeah. for how it was. Most of the actors listened to these demos, and just the, the work was done. They just copied what they heard Mankin and Ashman doing on these demos. Oh, wow. So there, you can hear his um, when he's doing singing that, he's really trying to channel Ariel and the, the intensity and the, the emotions that she's feeling. Yeah, that is pretty cool, and it's definitely noticeable, um, and I, I don't know how – it almost seems like – knowing nothing about anything, it almost seems like they're not entirely sure that the project is, is actually really going to go ahead. It sounds like it's just, you know, like you said, in production where we'll see what happens, but there's almost almost like pitching it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're almost auditioning their music f- to make the project go forward because, I, I, I mean, that's – I don't know. Well, you, you see what I mean? That, and, that kind and, of vibe. Well, and to to that point, I it, it sounded from that clip like they were really putting their best foot forward. Yeah, like yeah, that's cool. Well, I think I'm, mean, and in a sense, they were auditioning it. This was their first demo, right? So mm. now these two approached writing this as though it were a Broadway musical. So, in the sense, like. It's not like they just throw a song in because they want to have songs in this movie. The characters can't come up with the words they need, so they have to burst into song. Sebastian can only convince Ariel to stay in the ocean by singing a song. And the key point of this is that the songs can't be gratuitous. They're necessary. If you were to cut one, (laughs) if you were to take (laughs) one out, the rest of the movie wouldn't make any sense. Wait, did you just bust up at the phrase cutting one? Yeah. (laughs) What are you, Jason? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You're gonna have a dream about being on Mars now tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and if you cut one, well, that would have really stunk. Yeah. <laughs> and it was their Broadway background that helped them find their voice for part of your world. Jody Benson, who ended up voicing Ariel, had worked previously with Howard Ashman on his musical Smile. Or, sorry, his play Smile. So Ashman knew he would be, uh, she would be a good fit for the voice of Ariel. And we're gonna come back to her later. In the months following their demo of Part of Your World, Howard and Alan moved to L.A., and now they're writing this music the old-fashioned way. So this was old school. They were in residence at Disney in a room down the hall from the animators and the other people working on the production. Back in Walt's era, directors' rooms at Disney were known as music rooms because they each had pianos. And all those features and shorts that were made in Walt's era, music was such an integral part of the movies and specifically the process of making them. And here were these two Broadway successes bringing back the old way of doing things to the 1980s. I love that. Imagine being a, an animator and hearing that creative process going on. You know, when you get a bunch of creative people in a room, there's this energy, right? And you sort of work off one another. But hearing that down the hall, I think that's very similar as well and, and i wonder i wonder if the animators ever popped in and just kind of like got a feel for how the character sort of developing through the songs and you know that kind of thing you you know what you are like a genius oh geez wow i'm gonna cut this out and on repeat that's gonna be the new intro to the show <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though you could read my next paragraph <laughs> because well i'm standing right behind you Think back. Remember how I said um, these were the dark days in the studios? Right. The animators had been evicted. And really, 
Um, they didn't know what their future was. And Disney really hadn't made a fairy t- They were Disney's DNA is fairy tales, but they hadn't made one since the late 50s. So this is like something that they do, wow. but they hadn't done in a while. Okay. And suddenly these two guys are in a room experimenting and singing and they have this fresh energy and their music is echoing down the halls, Jason. <laughs> and it's music that the animators can hear as oh. they work. Orchestrators can pop in and hear what they're working on and it creates this buzz and this energy in the animation department that hadn't been there for so long. Wow. And people were hearing the music come from their office and saying, I want to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could give them the, that idea, Jer. So this is what they heard, number three. We are the daughters of Triton, great father who loves us and named us well. Aquata, Andrina, Arista, Athena, Adela, Alana, and Ariel. I think I would have walked out I heard that. Some flower, I think, just a dab. Now I stop you with bread, it don't hurt, cause you're dead, and you're certainly lucky you are. Cause if it's gonna be hot in my big silver pot, to the look of us all, I just love it. I just love it. You hit it right on the head because. Whether you like all those songs or not, these guys are having fun. Mm-hmm. There's energy, and it's breathed new life into the studio. Right. I loved it. Also, in the old days, the music came first. They'd write the songs, and then the animators would animate to it. And this is exactly what was happening now. Mankin and Ashman were basically constructing this movie around the key songs that they were writing in close collaboration with the directors. Over the next 18 months, they created seven key songs for the movie. We've talked about how the lyrics generally come first, because we're telling a story here. And it was the same for Elton John and Tim Rice. We talked about that in The Lion King. Elton needed to hear uh, Tim come up with the words for the entire poem, and then he could write a melody that reflected that emotion. Right, right. The difference here slightly is that Howard Ashman, the lyricist, is also a producer, so he has an amazing sense for not just the lyrics that he's writing, but the whole emotional feeling of the song and how it re- would relate to the music and how it would tell the story. So he's doing a lot of directing at Alan Menken also, who's over there banging away on the piano, <laughs> saying, okay. more this, less that, I want it to do this. <clears throat> sure, okay. When Howard Ashman was initially approached by the directors, he knew that the story was by Hans Christian Andersen, who was from Denmark. And he immediately asked, how closely and accurately does this need to depict actual Denmark? And they told him, well, not really at all, Um, which (laughs) is exactly what Ashman wanted to hear. So (laughs) did the the original story take place around Denmark? Because I I can't imagine Denmark is known for its mermaid stories. (laughs) Well, he wrote all sorts of different. um, What was the other one that he? Hans and Gretel. Yeah, uh, I think they, they were Danish-influenced. Did you just correct me per my pronunciation of Hansel? Oh, I didn't hear I, I didn't hear the soul. So I thought you said Hans and Gretel, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Okay. 
But I guess that's a, a good point of clarification. Like the story come from from an existing artwork. How closely do we got to follow this thing? Right. And he was really happy that they didn't because he wanted to play loose with the locale and the fantasy of this because yeah. that would enable him to experiment with all different styles of music to tell the story. But Sorry, I, I keep interrupting. I apologize. But all the music you've played so far has sort of been what I would consider like European polka-y kind of music. And I don't know if it's because they had those sort of instruments kind of there or whatever, but it's definitely not like a lot of the music you heard in the final version. I understand their demos, but it almost seems like up till this point they were sort of going off of this maybe German-esque waltzy polka kind of nonsense. Is that accurate, or I don't know? Well, you're going to hear there is more. Um, okay, good. Part of your it. world really is more of a, a like a more of a ballad, like a that you'd hear on the radio. Hmm. Um. And we know that there, I was just going to say that we know that there are many global influences in the music here. The movie opens <laughs> with a traditional English sea shanty inspired song in uh. Fathoms Below, number four. It's like me playing the piano. Tale of the bottomless blue and its say to the starboard key Look up that a mermaid be waiting for you in mysterious fathoms below. Isn't this great? The salty sea air, the wind blowing in your face. A perfect day to be at sea. Aye, that it is, lad. Mm, yes, delightful. <laughs> a fine, strong wind in a good place. <laughs> Sam made an appearance at the end of that song. <laughs> that was awesome. Huh. I loved how like the piano was uh, very like crunchy to kind of like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it was awesome. Yeah, he was it really, really like told the story. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and the notes were were not clear. It was sort of muddy, and I think it, fr- from just hearing that, I would imagine the the person, the character playing that, would have no real musical talent. They know how to carry a tune, sort of, and hit a couple keys. It was very rough shot, and I and from that scene where there's just there's pirates dancing on the on the ship. I think if, if I'm getting that I scene properly, re- I, I can't actually remember yes. the scene where That's Ariel correct. first like sees the prince or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just imagine they're just everyone's drunk, and like <laughs> the least drunk guy goes, "I can play that," and they just hammering <laughs> the keys. <laughs> Sorry, well, I think the thing is, is that that demo, they're working on it. So not all those lyrics were what you heard in the final. And I think, Men- yeah. you know, Mencken is just trying to he's you'll hear when we get into Under the Sea, like you can hear him flubbing over the keys because they're still trying to figure it out. And even Howard Ashman, some of the words he skips over, he misses words because they're not he might just go blah, 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 because they haven't really figured out what the lyric that will be sure. that will rhyme in that spot. So it's really this is a work in progress that you're hearing. OK, I love it. Fathoms Below was deliberately written in three-quarter time. So it would waltz and it would sway. And so if you think about it, um, when we know other songs that are written in three-quarter or six-eight time that waltz like that, you automatically kind of sway, like Spectro Magic. When you play that, we all kind of start going like this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was written that way because they're, they're making music that goes to match the movements of a ship in the water that Prince Eric is sailing on. Oh, so that's a, a musical tool that they used in order to match up with the visuals. Number five. 
tail of the bottom is blue and it's hay to the starboard he hold. Look up, Madam Mermaid, be waiting for you in mysterious fathoms below. Fathoms below, below, from what's wayward westerlies blow. We're trying to it definitely has that effect on one. That's new. I don't remember the on below part. So that's obviously, I like to play the demo and then, because you can see it kind of in its, you know, in its development and then what we ultimately got. Yeah. It that's, takes, you know, it takes a lot of vision to be able to see that far ahead and, and, and make something like that. It's, I find it fascinating. Very cool. Immediately. Immediately from Fathoms Below, we go below water for the opening credits. It's already very clear to the viewer exactly what the story is going to be about. When Howard Ashman initially told the directors of his vision for Sebastian as a Rastafarian, they weren't sure how that would work. (laughs) So think about it here. They went to this guy. They were like, we want you to make the music for this movie. And he's like, well, Sebastian's actually going to be a Rastafarian. Like, I can't impress upon you enough how much he has influenced this movie. He's just supposed to write the lyrics. And he made Sebastian a Rastafarian. Oh, wow. It was his vision of a Jamaican-inspired Sebastian that would allow them to draw in more Caribbean influences to other parts of the music and that natural seaside feeling those musical sounds naturally evoke. Howard Ashman, who wrote the lyrics for Under the Sea, also had a very distinct idea of how the melody and the music should sound for this major number. He repeatedly told Alan Menken that he wanted a song that didn't stop. He wanted it to continuously circle back on itself. Here's Ashman and Mencken working on their concept for Under the Sea number six. You know, if uh, he's a Rastafarian, that means uh, he smokes pot. And then a bass part. But don't bump, but don't bump, bump, but don't bump, but don't bump. incredible that's really cool i thought you were i thought I, you were being sarcastic no 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 i think it's really cool no because like you know we we've talked to, i talked a couple times about like if you ever hear michael jackson demo tapes yeah he does the same thing where he just gets in the booth because he knows exactly elvis was the same way where they didn't really read music or write music not that these guys don't but it was like uh you know uh quincy are you there quincy this is this is how this goes you know, and 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 or whatever. I'm, I know I mix my songs, but it doesn't matter. Um, and just to hear it from other people who are accomplished musicians, that's just, I guess, like how you sort of noodle it out. Yeah, that was really awesome. That was very cool. I love it. When Disney was looking for someone to voice Sebastian, they wanted someone with the energy of Sammy Davis Jr. The Broadway actor Samuel Wright was chosen for his range and his characteristic combination of warmth and gruffness that made him perfect for the role of Sebastian. Sebastian's first major musical number in the movie is that now legendary Under the Sea. Sebastian uses this bright musical number in a last-ditch attempt to extol the virtues of living under the sea and keep Ariel from the perceived dangers of the surface and the human world she so longs to be a part of. 
This energetic piece weaves a tapestry of musical influences and instruments, including Caribbean beats and sounds, marimbas, steel drums, jazz basses, and saxophone, a chorus line of colorful vocals, all while, all while backed by more traditional instruments, such as a vibrant string section, woodwinds, and brass, and of course, the vocals of Samuel Wright as Sebastian Number 7. Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. Looking under the sea. <laughs> Down here all the fish is happy as after the waves go. The fish on the land ain't happy. It's hot cause they in the It's so amazing. And I love being, again, I know I said it before, I love hearing it when they're creating it. And then what that final was, it's just amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. that's that's magical. Where did you get those? Where do you get those clips? Wow. He knows a guy who knows a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> you all can get the Legacy Collection oh. of The oh. Little Mermaid. And it has an extra disc. All of these do. Um, and they have all the demos and oh, cool. instrumental tracks. It's really great. So if you want, um, anyone can get the Legacy Collection. Do you play these on Spectro? Um, not those demos. Okay. I don't play the demos. But any like extended a... audio. What's that? It would probably be a little confusing if it just suddenly ended up on Spectro. Well, but like for a segment maybe, you know, yeah. where you play the demo and then you play like the song. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, this is just it. You've really hit on something. I think... Noodle that, over. Uh, it Noodle might be on. worth doing something that is like a, a special, like, yeah. you know, basically, spectro demo or so, you know, something yeah. like that. Basically what you're doing here, but mm-hmm. in, the, in a long form. And, right. of course, then the artist gets paid for it because you pay people. That's right. I yeah. do. Very good for you. All right. Go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. The show-stopping part of your world, our lead character, Ariel's main number, comes straight from Broadway. Howard Ashman once commented, quote, in almost every musical ever written, there's a place usually early in the show where the leading lady sits down on something and sings about what she wants most in life. Here, Ariel retreats to her cavern to express her yearning to be a part of the human race. Again, Howard Ashman wanted Jodie Benson to express herself not just with a powerful voice, but also with some intense restraint. And listen to him telling her how to do that. Number eight. What would I give if I could live out of these waters? The intensity mm-hmm. is better than... What would I give is better than, than noise. What would I give if I could live out of these waters? What would I pay to spend a day warm on the sand? That gave me chills. That was exactly... No, she's incredible. I have goosebumps. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what he asked for. Wow. 
Yeah, she did what a good job. What would I give? That did not give me goosebumps. No. no. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of bumps did it give you? I would say that the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, give me hives. <laughs> it's a family podcast. I can't talk about those bumps. <laughs> That's true. Um, that actually I did not get from the legacy that's from a documentary that i found oh um the song almost didn't make it into the movie wow though ashman and Mankin thought it was obviously critical to the storytelling during one of the initial screenings before the official release jeffrey katzenberg was watching the movie and during the song a kid dropped their popcorn and sort of made a ruckus trying to pick it up and it was really kind of distracting oh, wow and all katzenberg could do was focus on that kid making noise and when it was over, pardon me, he was like, I don't like a song. I think it's boring. It's out. <laughs> that would literally be me. Focus yeah. on something unimportant and, and bothersome that most normal people could tune out um, and then make a judgment call after the fact. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. ruin it for everyone. Yeah. Um, what? Ashman and Mencken finally convinced him to keep it in at least for the major previews. And of course, it was a success. And now we couldn't imagine the movie without Part of Your World, number nine. That is the movie. I mean, come on. When's it my turn? Would my love love to explore that shore of above? Out of the sea. Wish I I have to pee. Part of that world. That was so beautiful. Beautiful, Jeremy. I sorry. I'm sorry. I ruined it. Yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Originally, the character Ursula was a scorpion fish with spikes and spines. What's a scorpion? Is that a real fish? Yeah, oh, like okay. a lion, a lionfish, a scorpion fish. Oh, okay. Fish. All right. Um, the look of Ursula went through many different variations during the movie's development: thin versions, fat versions. Finally, they settled on an octopus, or well, technically a squid, as she only has six tentacles. Oh, why does she only have six tentacles, Jason? Or or because it was probably harder to draw eight than six. This is why cartoon characters have four fingers instead of five. Yeah, it's cheaper. There you go. When stage and screen veteran actress Pat Carroll received the call to audition for a Disney film, she replied, "It would be an answer to prayer." She had wanted to be in a Disney movie all her life. She was a shoo-in for the Ursula character. Once again, Howard Ashman's vision served as a perfect template for the actors to base their characters. Pat Carroll asked Ashman if he would perform Ursula for her. Without skipping a beat, he put on a cloak (laughs) and performed the entire song for her. Damn. Um, In fact, the demo recordings that Ashman and Mencken put together, as I said before, were so rich and complete, most of the actors used them. Take a listen to Ashman performing uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls, number 10. My dear sweet child, that's what I live for. That's what I do to help poor unfortunate merfolk like yourself. Poor souls with no one else to turn to. Poor unfortunate soul, go ahead, make a choice. I'm a very busy woman and I haven't got 
all day, it won't cost much. Just your voice, you poor unfortunate soul. It's sad, but true. If you want to cross a bridge, my speed, you've got to pay the toll. Take a gulp and take a breath and go ahead and sign the scroll. Got some jets and now I've got her. Boys, the boss is on a roll. This poor That's the best one I've heard. That was very, very, very good. Ursula, the character, is extremely theatrical. And she was partially influenced by sort of like drag cross-dressers, one in particular named Divine, who appeared in John Waters movies. Um, John Waters, if you don't know who that is, he created several cult films in the 1980s, but is probably most notable for his work, Hairspray. Yes. Would you like to hear Divine, the in, one of the inspirations for Ursula Sing? I would love it. Yes. Number yes. 11. It's very like late seventies New York punk it sounded kind of ju- vibe, yeah. It sounded a lot like Meatloaf to me. <laughs> well, I mean, she looks a lot like <laughs> Meatloaf. It has that like kind of gravelly vocal, but yeah. it's still like there's a lot of control in it. But it's it sounds messy at the same time. Yeah, that's punk. That's punk. Rock. <laughs> that's punk rock for sure. Yeah, well, that's Divine performing on Letterman in 1982 with yeah. John. John Waters uh, was there in the interview afterwards with her. Oh, nice. Yeah, Waters is weird. Divine is weirder, and um, uh, but both were uh, were crazy, crazy people who had a big impact yeah. on art. We got Ursula. That's right. Ursula's show-stopping "Poor Unfortunate Souls" is a raunchy cabaret-style performance loaded with puns, rhymes, and humor, but also plays an important role in the movie as this is where our heroine makes the deal to give up her voice and life as she knows it to become a human and find love. Take a listen, number 12. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl, and do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those the men up there don't like a lot of blabber. They think a girl who gossips is a bore. Yet on land it's much preferred for ladies not to say a word. And after all, dear, what is idle prattle for? Oh, got some jets and now I've got her, boys. The boss is on a roll. This poor, unfortunate That was actually Terrence covering that song because we couldn't find the actual clip of the song from the movie. (laughs) He wishes. Our friend Samuel Wright or Sebastian is back with another poignant song in the movie. As part of Ariel's deal with Ursula, she must get the prince to kiss her and break the spell. We find Ariel and Eric out rowing in a boat for the evening. And Eric, well, he just hasn't made a move yet. (laughs) Milk toast. (laughs) 
It's up to Sebastian and Ariel's other animal friends to set the scene for the kiss to break Ursula's spell. Again, music plays an important role here. It propels the story forward out of necessity. Sebastian wouldn't have the opportunity to sit down and reason with Eric. So <laughs> Listen, <has> Mon. To- <laughs> <laughs> Give her a kiss, please. This upbeat song features doo-wop harmonies by a chorus of fish, pelicans, flamingos, frogs, ducks, turtles, and more. Number 13. Did you see her sitting there across the way? She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. Why, but you're dying to try, you wanna kiss the girl. Don't be scared, you got to move it there, go on and kiss the girl. Don't stop now, don't try to hide it, how you wanna kiss the girl. Float along, and listen to the song, the song say kiss the girl. What do you think Ariel's breath was like? Oh my gosh. Probably a little fishy. I mean, like, <laughs> at least a little, like, seaweed kind of thing. And so maybe that's why he'd never really kissed her until a lobster told him to do it, which is also weird. Do you think he was pressured into it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure he wanted to because she was pretty at all. But then, like, once he got close or whatever, then it would just hit, like, you know, the weird sea. Like, you open a package of seaweed and you're like, oh, hey. This is well, uh, because a crab, they don't brush not a lobster. Oh. And he also didn't kiss her in that scene. See? That's why. <laughs> it's because Flotsam and Jetsam tipped over the canoe. Oh, they those rascals. <laughs> those rascally eels. See, I know that. They're eels. I was impressed that you knew that they were eels, yeah. to be honest. Thank you, ma'am. Very yeah, good. I never really thought about what they were. Yeah, tip of the cap to you. Go ahead, Jeremy, please. Alan Menken was not only charged with creating the rich melodies that accompany the lyrics to Howard Ashman's songs for the film, but he also was entrusted to score the rest of the film. So when they're not singing, there's still music going on, right, in the background? Writing music that accompanied other action in between the the true songs of the movie. Writing this background soundtrack was something new for him. He'd never done it before. He knew how to take words and make a beautiful melody, but he hadn't yet written this sort of background music. Um, That is necessary, but also can't steal the show from the important action and dialogue on the screen. His music was much more critical in The Little Mermaid because in this movie musical, our lead actress spends a significant amount of time without a voice. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was up to Alan Menken to create a moving score that could speak and sing for Ariel and expressing these emotions that the character could not while she had given up her voice. Take a listen to some of Alan Menken's score to the rest of the movie, number 14.
It sounded so, like oh sorry. It sounded like uh walking down Main Street almost. Like all the different like like the first one uh, in that in that group reminded me of being in uh the candy shop. What's it called? Did you just say to make me think of the name of the candy shop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool, mama. I'm Alice right now. Tapa D, Tapa What is the candy shop? The confectioner or whatever? I don't no, know, man. No, no, no. It's the, not the penny arcade, but yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. You're thinking of the penny arcade? Yeah. All right, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, it, you are right. And Jason, in Disney World, it's called the confectionery. Thanks, ah. Jer. You are a genius. Oh, my gosh. Stop it. Wow. You can't tell him that. No. I really feel that, too. We learned that lesson like three episodes ago. Yeah. I feel that, too. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about how the animators had been evicted from Burbank. So the, the pressure was on here. They really felt that this was do or die because it, if this didn't work, they were done. Well, the movie released and the numbers were insane. <laughs> During previews, the numbers, even amongst adults, were through the roof. It was widely adored by most audiences and critics. This was an awakening for Walt Disney Animation. The animators were back. Animation as an art form indeed was not dead, and The Little Mermaid turned everything around for Disney. At the box office, Little Mermaid earned $84.4 million in its initial domestic run, 64% more than the previous year's Oliver and Company. Wow. And after a 1997 wow. re-release, has now earned $233 million in total international box office revenue. <laughs> wow. wow. And that's Roger off the Ebert rig. declared, like, There's no quote, overhead for that, right? Because it's a re-release. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's just straight off the... Yeah. It's just, here's money. <laughs> Roger Ebert declared, quote, The Little Mermaid is a jolly and inventive animated fantasy, a movie that's so creative and so much fun, it deserves comparison with the best Disney work of the past. The movie I would say that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The movie revived interest in animation at a time when animated features were in a lull. It set in motion a renaissance in Disney animation that followed with a steady cadence of successes, including Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, and more. It was the first Disney animated film to earn an Academy Award nomination since 1977's The Rescuers. Wow. Wow. The film won two Oscars for its music. Alan Menken and Howard Ashman's work took home the Oscars for Best Score and also for Best Song with Under the Sea. That makes me happy. They deserve it after listening to the Spectro time. So everything's wonderful, right? The movie's a success. Disney animation is back. (laughs) Taryn's happy. Taryn is happy. But sadly, Uh privately, the man without whom this movie would not have been possible, Howard Ashman's world during all this wonderful success was coming unraveled. He had lately been showing signs of weight loss. He explained away issues he was having with his skin's appearance and a general weakness. At one celebration, he told his friend Alan Menken that when they returned to New York, they needed to talk. Oh, no. Never good. Oh, Jeremy. Just say it now. Like, Why don't tell me. Why are you ending it? We need to talk. Don't. <laughs> we need to talk in a month. No. Tell me now. He confided in his friend and creative partner that he was dying of AIDS. Oh. He oh. had been diagnosed HIV positive in 1988, halfway through the making of the movie. This being the late 1980s, it had to be kept a secret. Yeah. A diagnosis of AIDS was back then a death sentence, not only for a person's life, but more quickly their career. A year later, after finishing the songs for Beauty and the Beast, 
and having penned Friend Like Me for Aladdin at the age of 40, Howard Ashman was gone. Wow. Wow. 40. In 2001, he was named a Disney legend. Oh, he was so talented and young. Yeah, and we owe so much to him for this movie. Yeah. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken's music lives on far beyond the movie. Given its near universal popularity, the music of The Little Mermaid can be found all over the Disney parks and stage shows, movies, nighttime spectaculars, and of course, parades. The music has been featured in Spectro Magic, the Festival of Fantasy Parade, Mickey's Sensational Parade, World of Color, and many more shows. Let's sample a few of those, number 15. <laughs> like what disney does with their parade music man but they have to it's a parade you don't like parades yeah well that last the last snip of that was actually world of color see taryn well why'd you talk about that what you what they do with their parades then i I wasn't talking about that specific one i was talking about some of the other stuff (laughs) i don't all of it i just don't like it (laughs) it's not my thing man the first two were parades yeah i liked them i I didn't mind any of them except the last one actually Hmm. see there you go I'm right. And of course, the music from the movie has also been covered by a countless number of artists through the years, including Suburban Legends, Raven Simone, Ashley Tisdale, and many others. Number 16. Oh, dear. Uh, Who? Suburban Legends? I hope this isn't the last one. You're going to like Suburban Legends. Maybe. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. Dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Come with me. The sea wind is always greener than somebody else's leg. You dream about going up there. She's trying so hard. She really is. Just look at the world around you. I bet that last one was a big hit. On the yeah, radio. I actually don't mind the last one because... I remember the last one. That was Ashley Tisdale. Oh, really? really? That's right, yeah. Ben. I bet it was super big because it's it's generic rock and roll, but and it's a song that every teenage girl loves, so... Preteen, it, but yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Bev. Yeah. <laughs> I was like 26. <laughs> and Bev. <laughs> 
more recently in 2007, a Broadway version of the show had a spot on the Great White Way in New York, <laughs> along with an international touring production. Number 17. The Great White Way of Broadway. <laughs> I'll tell you a tale of the bottomless blue. And it's hey to the scholarly Sailor, beware, cause a biggin's a brewin. Mysterious times <laughs> below. Be la la don't be scared. You got that mood prepared. Go on and kiss the girl. Sha la 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 la, don't stop now. Don't try to hide it all. You wanna kiss the girl. Friars and eaters in frequency. We were done land folk love to cook Under the sea we off the hook We got no troubles Life is the bubbles Under the sea I feel like that accent of Sebastian Would be very hard to sing Like twice a day Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean I guess unless it's your accent Yeah, yeah unless it's your accent I don't know I, would, yeah. I don't think it is <laughs> Yeah Look out to big ones brewing. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that got me pretty good. That is the music of The Little Mermaid. Oh, Jeremy. Good job. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, you did a good uh, you did a good thing there, pal. That was really good. I really liked hearing those demos. I thought that was yeah. really nice. Yeah. So, a couple years ago, I saw the um, San Francisco Orchestra do the little mer so they play the movie but all the music oh, the orchestra right. plays yes. it was amazing it was incredible yeah oh yeah. i would have loved to have seen that it was so good i took abby it was great oh not sam no we couldn't afford to take sam too that was expensive <laughs> yeah. it was like a hundred bucks a ticket it was very expensive oh, wow. oh good gravy Hey, you guys want to do some Disney news? We finally have Disney Parks news to talk about. Wow, there's things going on? There's things going How on. How is that even possible? That's so exciting. <laughs> I know. Every ride got dusted. <laughs> <laughs> March in the past, present, and future. With I, I forget every time. Every time. Literally, Here's same. Like... <laughs> I, I forgot, too. I was like, oh, oh, wait, oh, yeah, that is my... Uh... And our announcer guy, like, made this for us, I think, and it was so nice. Yeah, he definitely did. And now So it's, it's permanently damaged? Yeah. No, well, th- yes, the file <laughs> is saved like a dumbass, <laughs> essentially. It sounds waterlogged. <laughs> it's so I'll put bad. It, I'll put it in some rice. Um, no, and Push so- was like, uh, he's like, well, you just adjust the pitch and do the thing. I'm like, yeah, I, don't know, I get it, but I saved it, so I have to re-download it. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, no, it, I just have to re-download it, but now I I can't. <laughs> Why can't you? Does, he didn't keep a copy on his own. No, he 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 did. It's just it's a thing. Don't worry about it. It's saved uh, on my local machine, right? So and also after this conversation, it gets forgotten until next time. And yeah, then... <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. There's no way. I'm gonna text you between shows and say fix the thing. <laughs> la 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 la. Fix the thing. Why don't you <laughs> fix the thing? Uh, but the do to do. Okay. We see you're using an ad blocker. Well, of course I am, because ads are stupid. Um, except the ads on earsup-podcast.com. <laughs> Please uh, love on those. Let me turn this down just a tad here. Actually, probably go away. It's a seven-minute song, by the way. 
<laughs> since I lowered the pitch. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> or the, the speed. What, it double? Um, here's the breaking news. Here's the lead, okay? Disneyland halts annual passholder payments during coronavirus closure. Oh. So we've been talking about this for like a little bit, and people are were very hacked off uh, that they still had to pay for their annual passports, right? Which is sort of like, well, you, of course, you signed a contract. I mean, you know. But nothing is of course these days because everything is just different. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, Disneyland will halt annual pass payments for pass holders who have paid. It's a lot of P's. Uh, for a full year. Wait a minute. Disneyland. Uh, uh, whatever. They're, they're stopping payments. There was a stupid way the RedlandsDailyFacts.com wrote this article. Whoever <laughs> wrote this. Who, who is this? Brady McDonald. Wow, oh. rude. Uh, the change to the annual pass holder payment policy, again, with the P's. What is with this kid in alliteration? Uh, the annual pass holder payment policy was posted <laughs> as an update. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. Uh, okay, you know what? Look, <laughs> bmcdonald at scng.com. <laughs> Email him and tell him that I hate his article. <laughs> Uh, the annual passholder payment policy was posted as an update to the Disneyland page. No, uh, website. Our annual passholders are some of our most loyal guests, and we stand ready to help during this incredibly uncertain time, according to the Disneyland website. Um, there, that's all. Well, that's good. People yeah. were right, well, that, upset nice. about that. Effective uh, Sunday, April 5th, Disneyland will automatically stop and waive all upcoming monthly payments while the theme parks are closed and retroactively... Refund payments made between March 14th and April 4th. Wow. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And also for a company Uh, that's, I mean, they're not hemorrhaging, but they're not making making $40 million a day. No, I think they're hemorrhaging. I mean, they're losing losing millions of dollars a month for sure. Well, $40 million (laughs) a day from theme parks. There's no way. There's no way $40 million a day. That's insane. That's what I heard. I know. I think you're wrong. I think you've heard wrong. Yeah, well, you know, those of us who aren't residents of California or Florida, we have to pay up front for our passes. Good. You oh. deserve it. So then are you... So, yeah, what happens? Yeah. Are they, they're adding these months that they've been closed onto your membership, I assume. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So they don't have the payment plan in Florida? They do. It's it's uh, Florida and California residents. Oh, I oh, right. Uh, you, gotcha. Damn, you're, bro. You're not in either of those. Looks I like think. you have to move Correct. to California. But I feel yeah. like you've had them for so long that they should be like, you're, a, you know, we trust you. Well, like, what's the what's the difference if you're if you're <laughs> in if you're if you're a resident or not? Why why does that matter? Yeah, why not just open that up to everyone? Because I mean, there's so many things these days. Take payment plans. Take payments. Your bills. I mean, PG&E. I your think, phone. Come on. I think because we complain about the crowd, the park being crowded enough as it is. If they open payment plans to. 50 states then uh, think about that i don't want to well but like exactly. i don't think a lot of i don't know never mind okay well let me know if you if you have something else because it was good <laughs> no you well, were going okay. somewhere all i was gonna say was that i wonder how many uh people outside of florida and california actually have annual passes um a hundred million i think there's a fair amount of people so let them pay by payment. Who yeah, cares? Who cares is right. Uh, Disney Parks donates 100,000 N95 masks and 150,000 rain ponchos to fight coronavirus. 
Bev, you could donate if, some. First of all, rude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Parks Division of the Walt Disney Such Company <laughs> said in an announcement that it donated uh, 150,000 rain ponchos to MedShare, a humanitarian aid organization. It said will help distribute them. It also said that it sent more than 100,000 N95 masks to New York, which has seen the worst outbreak in the country and California and Florida, where it operates its two biggest parks. Charles Redding, the CEO and president of MedShare, said the organization appreciates the donation by Disney Parks to, quote, support hospitals and healthcare workers on the front lines. Well, that's nice. I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, but it was like, you know, this was announced, I think, today. And it's like, just just today? <laughs> and that's, I mean, yeah. hey, man, better late than never, but uh, that's cool. Something in that article made me think of something that... Uh-oh. Uh, this this April shelter in place that we have going on in California. Yeah, yeah. That also, I I mean, Disneyland is not an essential business, so that means that all of their maintenance that they've been doing, I don't think can be done anymore. All of those people can't be working because they the park was not open, but they were still doing maintenance on rides and stuff. And I don't, I I think this new order uh, disallows them from doing that, which I think huh. is crazy. Interesting. Because now the park's just sitting there collecting dust. Like, at least before <laughs> it was like, that thing's going to open sparkly. Well, you know what? So it's, it's an interesting point based on this new article I'm about to read called Disneyland will raise and lower the American flag daily during coronavirus closure. Oh, I like that. I don't. It, 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 I, why? So that they could get an article written about it? I guess. I don't know, man. Look, I like the flag as much as the next guy, but... It just seems like a weird thing to be. Well, don't they do that every day anyway? So maybe they're just, that's one. Tra- I mean, Disneyland doesn't close. So maybe this is just one tradition. They're just trying to continue. Well, yeah. D- Disneyland's closed. I mean, but they're well, not, they're not doing it right now. They're going to start uh, yesterday. They start. Oh. No, today, actually. Today. <laughs> well, wait, they, have, they, they haven't been doing it, but now they're going to start? Apparently not. Disney, I don't know. Disney World has been doing it since the closure and, um, it, their security staff, if you, like it's not a ghost town, there are still have to be security guards posted. Of you know, course, like they got someone's got to watch the. Oh yeah, store. I would jump that fence. So it's just those security guards that are working are still doing the flag raising and lowering in a in a in a modified smaller ceremony. I think that's nice. So if they're there anyway, Petros. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know, man. It just seems like a weird. I don't know. Look, it seems weird. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I don't know why. I don't. I. I can't fully articulate why it just seems weird, but it just seems weird to do the flag raising ceremony. Um, I'm sure it's at not the, like the whole thing. Well, all of this yeah. is weird. You're weird. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Everything is weird right now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of weird, Disney will furlough non-essential employees starting April 19th. Aww. However, the employees will continue to receive full health care benefits. That's, That's good. Cool. That is good. Yeah, the Walt Disney Company said on Thursday, which is today, that it will begin furloughing certain employees whose jobs are not deemed necessary beginning April 19th. The company did not give a specific number for the amount of people who it expects to impact to be impacted by the furloughs, but it did say that all of those affected will remain employees with full health care benefits. That's good. Yeah. Um, that's about it. I think uh, once you're officially furloughed, though, that's when you can start collecting unemployment, right? 
I think so. I don't know so, that to be I true. Don't know. Uh, they will receive full health care benefits, plus the cost of the employee and company premiums will be paid by Disney. And those in so they're getting free health care. It sounds like, and those enrolled in Disney Aspire, whatever that is, will have continued access to the education program. Well, there you go. That's good. <laughs> Additionally, employees with available paid time off can elect to use some or all of it at the start of the furlough period. And once furloughed, they are eligible to receive an extra $600 a week in federal compensation through the $2 trillion economic stimulus bill. Interesting. So if they use their own PTO and they don't go on um, unemployment, then they get extra money when this is all over. I guess, yeah. That's, I mean... I feel like for a, for a giant company that is hemorrhaging and that did not see this coming, that is pretty generous. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're doing what they can. Mm-hmm. For once. I know, right? <laughs> uh, that was it. I think that was all the Disney news I had. There's not a whole lot going on. That was, that was, a, that was more than I expected. It's not too bad, right? That's cool. Yeah, they did pretty good. All right. Well, hey, I do want to tell you guys about the 21st Amendment. You can go to 21stamendment.com and uh, check out what they're going on over there. But they have been serving craft beer in this San Francisco Bay Area, where we live, for 19 years. From their initial brew pub on 2nd Street, uh, which is just two blocks from Giant Stadium. So whenever baseball starts up again, be sure to go hang out over there at the 21st Amendment. Um, And then their production brewery and taproom in San Leandro, which is just a BART ride away if you want to stay in the city, but visit both 21st Amendment locations. They are now available in 29 states, including in and around the parks. So next time you're out here in the Bay Area, visit the brew pub and then shoot over to neighboring San Leandro to the production brewery and taproom for great beers and good food. And be sure to ask for the 21st Amendment wherever you find good craft beer. And, uh, you know, look, in this uh, weird trying times, you can't really pop over to the neighborhood bar, but there are a lot of bars doing, like, growler fills and bottle shares to go. And uh, I know the 2NA is still getting orders for beer, so people are still buying it out there. So it's not just a foregone conclusion that you can't find it anymore because everything's shut down. That's definitely not the case. So uh, look for it. Support uh, Sean and the folks at the 21st Amendment because they support this show. They're good people, and well, uh, we appreciate them. And those beers are, are pretty widely available at grocery stores and things. So, so look out for them there at your local Safeway or Albertsons or Lucky or whatever. 100%. All right, I think that's it. I think we're done. I think so. That's it for the show. Jeremy, once again, my friend. Lovely. You did a great job. Thanks. It was great to be here. Love seeing you guys. Should, uh, should we do another uh, corn tiki room? Should we like plan that right now? Yeah. Yeah, it's wig party. Yes, we just wig need to party, start a little okay. bit later so that I, I'm not near tears right when we start. Oh. Yeah. No, it, it's not an awe. It's like a crazy. It's like Taryn <laughs> goes crazy and then Jason gets frustrated and then i get even more frustrated jason doesn't get frustrated i don't get frustrated no not frustrated i'm like with me no i don't get frustrated with you all right yeah i just sit here and i go dude eat i know but i want to eat food go eat food (laughs) it's fine we can start 10 minutes late it's okay yeah so if we could start Hmm. at 8 15 i think everything would be much better let's make it 8 30 on sunday jeremy's that too late for you no. Okay. Show up in your wigs and your best wigs. Uh, we're gonna have a few. Maybe we'll do a wig change. Oh, and I only we'll have hang one, one wig one right now. Okay. <laughs> yes. Are you gonna be able to get it there by Sunday? Yeah, that's gonna be hard, but try. Yeah, give it a shot. What is today? What day is it? Thursday. 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 
I have one leg. Dude, I don't know. This Thursday. I think they can do it. Maybe it could be like wigs or hat. Well, I Free deliveries by Sunday if I order within the next 22 hours. I think wig day is fine. Uh, Jeremy has one wig. It'll be fine. Okay. It'll be right. So everyone show up in their wigs. Wig day. 8.30 Sunday at this YouTube channel. You guys are watching live. And uh, again, I'll post a show tomorrow on Friday. So I'll have plenty of time. Come hang out. We actually get way more people doing the decor and tiki room than the show, which I think is cool because that's what it's for. I mean, the show is a podcast, and you listen to that at your leisure. But mm-hmm. the corn tiki room, once it's up for it's up for a day, then it's gone. I pull it down. Yeah, actually, I I copy it and then I put it behind the paywall over on Patreon. So if you're a Patreon oh, cool. subscriber, you can. If you miss these, you mm-hmm. can watch them, and they're weird. They're weirder <laughs> than the secret shows. They're weird. They're but, strange. But I, <laughs> they are I, a little peculiar. <laughs> I'm thinking we play. Um, uh, what's oh my god? What's it called? I just Magic had... the Gathering. No. <laughs> uh, Did you say that you figured out how to do cards against cards against humanity? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I'll email that link out. Maybe we can try to like you know noodle on that See on Friday or something. Yeah. yeah. That's a good idea. I think it'd be fun. Maybe invite someone in the chat room because you can have up to six people playing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe just a couple of rounds. I'm not trying to play four hours of Cards Against Humanity. That would be yeah. boring, but, you know. Oh, I was I was thinking Would You Rather. I thought that would be a fun game to play. Oh, that would okay. be super fun. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who didn't join I last time. That not- <laughs> well, it's the Quarantiki Room. It's okay. It's the Quarantiki <laughs> Room, man. It'll be great. There are no rules. There are no <laughs> rules, baby. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for paying attention to the show, for tuning in. Thank you to Concy Ears and the 21st Amendment, both great, great companies uh, who are you know suffering a little bit, of course, during this trying time, as we all are. But definitely try to support them. They support us. They keep the lights on here. Uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you want to become one of those people that I thank, uh, not naming you, of course, um, you know, but just as a general group of Patreon people, go to patreon.com slash ears up. It's the best way to support this show. You can sign up for as little as two bucks a month or it's five bucks a month and up. You can access the secret show, which we're going to be recording in a couple of weeks here. Those are always fun. You can go through the back catalog, do all that kind of stuff. Now that you're sitting at home, literally not doing a darn thing. Uh, we should also talk about Tiger King at some point, maybe in the next show, uh, watching that on Netflix. It's real weird. Anyway, thanks a lot, everybody. And until next time, hopefully soon, we'll see you in the parks. Hopefully.